This is episode 12 of The Flying Sign with Joe Clady. Today on the podcast, I have Shauna Ping, who is the president of Casa del Toro Pitbull Rescue here in Indianapolis, Indiana. We talk about dog fighting, uh, how these animals have been treated, how they're being saved, and the historical stigma that has crippled their survival uh, in our culture in this country. Now, before I get into that, I want to talk about the current crippling stigma uh, that is I think, hurting our culture. Now, as of Wednesday, July 26, 2017, our current administration just put a ban on all transgender military personnel. Now, let me preface this by saying I am not military, and also on this podcast, I don't typically talk political things. Uh, I am just moved enough and angry enough to bring it up. So skip it if you don't if you don't want to hear it, uh, but I recommend that you don't. So... Let me just have some numbers real quick. Out of the 1.3 million active service people, uh, 2,500 to 7,000 of of the active people are transgender. And that is done by the uh, research and development, the RAND study. Now, in 2015, there was a study done that showed 50,000 active service personnel were ineligible to deploy for various legal, medical, or administrative reasons. Now, out of that large number, 29 to 129 transgender folk would uh, sought some sort of medical care that could possibly temporarily disrupt their ability to deploy. Uh, 29 to 129. So I'm going to make the connection to tobacco use. Now, for those who know me, I am not digging tobacco use because I enjoy my camel blues when I got them. I'm just making a point. So uh, the Department of Defense released a study that the tobacco costs in the military uh, is more than $1.6 billion each year uh, from related medical care, increased hospitalization, lost days of work, and that's stated by the Institute of Medicine in 2009. So <laughs> you're making it about cost, but these people who choose to smoke and, and, and live that kind of life, there's $1.6 billion that's spent there. Uh, the cost associated with some hormone treatment is less than the budgeted money for Viagra. So you you can hide behind the veil of financial need, but it's fucking bullshit. So I'm making a public announcement to any uh, transgender man or woman that would like to come on this podcast and talk about that, about the, the trans culture, because we got to talk about it. We got to move past this. And, and people like myself, who I, I don't know much about it. It's just not part of my life, but I... We need to learn, and most of, most of you don't either. Uh, for those who have an opposing side, I want to hear your side too because I'm really curious. Um, so we need to talk about this stuff. So again, putting that out there. <sighs> so again, I have Shauna Ping on the podcast. It was a very fun and flowing conversation, um, but, but, but very powerful and moving stuff. So this is the episode she titled, Pitbulls Are Dogs Too. So how did that start? Or can you explain what it is exactly? Sure. So Casa del Toro is uh, Indianapolis's oldest and largest pit bull rescue. It was started in 1997. Um, they save dogs that are identified as pit bulls from shelters. We don't take owner surrenders or strays. So you said identified. What do you like? So there's a lot that goes into the pit bull conversation. Okay. Um, I personally got involved with Casa del Toro uh, because I worked with another local animal welfare nonprofit and 
if I found a dog, I wouldn't take it to the shelter because I felt like it doesn't stand a chance. And so I was at the time I would surrender them to Indy Humane. That was when you could anybody could go there before they made appointments. Um, And I realized that by avoiding the shelter, I was part of the problem and not part of the solution. So um, I actually started out my nonprofit work with Fido, Friends of Indianapolis Dogs Outside. And the first dog I rescued from Indianapolis Animal Care Services was a pit bull that we named Oakley. And he, um, Fido would go out through low-income communities and provide supplies and dog houses to try to um, get dogs off of the chains in the backyards. And uh, one day they were out doing outreach and this pit bull followed the supply van the whole day. And so somebody, you know, picked him up and took him to the shelter. And at the end of his stray hold, he wasn't going to be put up for adoption. And so um, as a board member for Fido, they... Sorry, mm -hmm. just a real quick, the the term stray hold, I'm sure that probably means Means something. something. Yes. So when a dog gets taken to the shelter or a cat, um, if it's an owner surrender, then the shelter can do whatever they need to immediately because they have the owner's permission. If they are astray, then by law, they have to be held a minimum of four days at the city shelter. And that's in hopes that the owner will will be able to claim them. So if a dog comes in on Monday, they sit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the earliest that they could be evaluated to be put on the adoption floor or pulled by a rescue would be Sunday. Okay. Or I'm sorry, would be Saturday. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Now, if the shelter's closed, like if they're closed on Wednesdays or Sundays, that doesn't count to the stray hold because like you said, the owner has to have the ability to come and claim their pet. So um, at the end of their stray hold, the shelter will either put them straight on the adoption floor because they, you know, show no problems. They, there's no reason to try to temp test them. They're going to get adopted immediately. Or if maybe the uh, dog has poor cage presence, so it barks when somebody walks by or lunges at the cage, then they're going to go ahead and do an assessment to make sure that the animal is safe um, for the community and to be adopted out. So if a dog doesn't make that criteria, they're put on the rescue only list. And when I went and pulled my first pit bull, I was not with Casa del Toro. I actually met the founder there that day and she met my pit bull and she's like, I don't think you're gonna have a problem with him. Um, And I fostered him as a good Samaritan and found him a home. and. As a good Samaritan, my husband and I found about 12 dogs from a 12-pound rat terrier to a 100-pound mastiff mix on wow. my street and fostered them while I had my two pit bulls. And like I said, I realized that by avoiding the shelter, I was actually kind of part of that problem. And so when I chose to step back from working with Fido, I started to invest myself at the city shelter. And I would go every week for a couple of hours and... I owned white pit bulls, so I would mostly walk white pit bulls. And I met the founder, and she approached me one day and said, Hey, you come here all the time. You're always working with pit bulls. You are doing clicker training. Would you like to help me with my group? And at the time, we were starting a kennel enrichment program at the city shelter. So I came to Casa del Toro as a volunteer. I helped us get nonprofit status. So it was a private mom and pop rescue when I joined and I wrote the 501c3 paperwork and made sure we had everything in place. Um, And then really my focus was at the shelter because that's what my passion was. I could help the most 
animals possible by going two hours a week and working with the animals. Right. Um, I joined Casa del Toro in 2010. I became the president in 2013. Wow. That's what my degree's in is nonprofit yeah. management. So um, it was a, a, a natural evolution for me. And since I became president, I've really tried to take it from being a mom and pop rescue where maybe one or two people decide, yes, we're going to save this dog to a community. Um, we have a board of five individuals. We are all volunteers. Nobody gets paid. And we have about 12 coordinators who are high level volunteers who help us run our Facebook page, um, handle all the medical needs of the dogs or behavioral or just help us kind of make the decisions um, because I may be the president, but I'm not a dictator. Right, right. So well, that's how it should be. Exactly. Um, so, but at some point as a leader, you have to say yes or no. You know, you need to be that um, guiding post for everybody. So uh, I realized that I have the most institutional knowledge and behavioral knowledge when it comes to handling animals. So when I go to the shelter, I open it up to any Casa del Toro volunteer to come with me and we will go shopping, as I call it. So I'll go to the shelter as Casa del Toro and I have to find a dog that is available that matches a foster home. We only have foster homes. So we save about 70 pit bulls a year. Um, to further convolute the whole problem, pit bulls not a breed. Uh, it's a general classification. It's literally just slang that we use for a certain type of dog. Now, what is that type of dog then? Because you, like you said that earlier, that to a- identify a pit bull, I, I didn't know that. I figured it was just like that's like you would say a, a mastiff or a golden retriever you know, like there is just a pit bull so what exactly what is the uh, the name the the real name for a pit bull i guess so in the united states we recognize the american staffordshire terrier that is the akc the american kennel club that is their recognized quote-unquote pit bull breed the american staffordshire terrier they are 50 pounds or under. They're usually typically very short dogs, muscle bound. I mean, typically kind of what some people would think of as pit, pit bulls. Um, the phrase pit bull obviously has all of this negative imagery built into it because we're taking two very negative terms, pit and bull, and it is describing what originally the dogs are subjected to, which is they took dogs that they would stick in a pit and fight them against a bull for money. Um, the dogs that excelled at that were termed pit bulls. And is that that's how they were bred to be this champion fighter? Like when do you know the history on that? Sorry to keep sidetracking no, here, do. but okay. I do. If- so what I find fascinating, um, pit bulls would actually have just been the natural dog for the Americas. Right. So in the United States, the dog with the oldest DNA is a Catahoula leopard dog which is out of the Calhoun Parish of Louisiana. Okay. It's called a hog dog. They would have been used to protect the farms from the wild hogs. And so they would be used to hunt um, and, like I said, protect your farm. So they were probably pretty big my dog roxy was a cat half a catahoula leopard dog okay then i believe that. yeah so, so 50 so, pounds yeah. 50 to 70 pounds they don't have to be very large because they would hunt in a pack um just like sight hounds or labrador retrievers do it's not going to be one dog going out there they're going to go out and physically restrain the hog until the farmer can come 
and kill the hog so that the family can eat it and share it with the animals. So even though, you know, they take part of that prey and kill job, they're not actually going out and the the pit bulls or the Catahoula leopard dogs aren't going out and slaughtering the animals. They're physically restraining them until the human can get there. Wow. And then the human calls the animal and shares part of its kill with the dogs and its family. So, but, but even then, like to be 50 pounds, like there are labs that are 50 pounds, but they're, you know, big lofty, just kind of dogs, like 50 pounds of a pit. I bet it, they are not super huge, but they're solid. They're like, muscular. They're yes. So muscular. So like, yeah, they run in a pack, but that's, they can, they can probably they can take that. one down themselves, you know, right. or, or even have smaller packs to right. where they could take down an animal with maybe only a three right. size pack you yes know? yeah you can it's you can crazy. see youtube videos of it like of working dogs actually doing that uh-huh. um so pit bulls are terriers that's their they're not a sight hound they're not a um a hound dog they're not um let's see mastiffs they are actually terriers and so you know, they, they work the land. That's what they would have done. Um, they were farm dogs. So back in the day, um, you had, when people came over from Europe, they would bring their bulldogs. So the original fighting dog was the bulldog. The same name comes from the same place. They would pit the bull, uh, the little bulldog against the dog, an right. English bulldog, or even the full-size bulldogs. So uh, when people migrated to the Americas, they brought their bulldogs with them they found these terriers that had this tenacity and this drive like a rat terrier a rat terrier's job was to kill rats um a dotson's job was a badger dog they're built that way to go down into a badger hole and fight a badger that is phenomenal right so you know during the industrial revolution is when we as humans really changed canines forever because you finally had people who had time and money and nothing to do. So they started to make all of these designer dogs. That's where, if you look back, that's where we had from, you know, maybe 12 breeds before then to 100 plus is during the Industrial Revolution. Well, also during that time, you had your gambling, which is basically what dog fighting is. Um, and they started to kind of pick and choose. Like, I want this small muscle-bound body of an American Staffordshire Terrier with the drive of this Catahoula Leopard Dog who can take down a 200-pound hog, and I'm going to start to breed them into this animal that I call a pit bull. So how did we get the term pit bull? In the 1970s, the Animal Kennel Club finally stopped condoning dogfighting. They finally agreed that dog they fighting... They were condoning at one point? It was, yes. It was considered a legitimate sport. Oh, okay. Um, in the world of dog fighting, there's multiple... There's your urban fighters and your rural fighters, but they're, they're, the old fighters, which I would call the rural fighters, actually fought by a code of conduct. So they would never let their dogs die in the ring because you would stud that dog. Or breed that dog. So you wouldn't want to lose your stock on just one fight. You would want to be able to make money off of it. Um, So unfortunately, there was some sort of code of honor behind this. So this is where you start to get your bloodline. So in in the 1970s, the American Kennel Club finally says, 
dogfighting is not a sport. We're not going to condone this. And the United Kennel Club out of Europe created the American Pitbull Terrier. And the whole reason why they created that breed that they recognize and we don't, as Americans, we do not recognize the American Pitbull Terrier as a breed, but Europe does. So so as Americans, we don't recognize something that has the name American. America in it. That's strange. And the reason why they do is for dogfighting. Okay. Because the United Kennel Club continued to condone dogfighting for, I believe, another decade. Um, once they finally had social pressure enough to say this is inhumane to pit two animals against each other that's when dog fighting really started to go underground um that takes us to about the 80s um what is also interesting is as humans we like to find what's different in other things and kind of focus on that um over the course of all history there's always been a a dog that has been demonized by the media. Um, there's an amazing book called The Pitbull, Pitbull Placebo. Uh, I have a blog on Casa del Toro's website. And if you go there, there's a free link to the ebook, but it is scientifically written. And in that book, it will actually write out um, and show you in written literature this phenomenon. So, when printed materials first started we you know you only got newspapers that's how you found out what was going on in alaska a lot of the demonized dogs were the northern breeds your huskies your malamutes because all of us down here in the midwest had no idea what that was well and they look like wolves they're these giant yeah yeah, furry scary demon Uh beasts um then it became bloodhounds with slavery in Uncle Tom's cabin, oh, okay. that's the dog that they were sicking out after people. It was literally a manhunter. Right. Um, when we went into World War II, it became Dobermans and German Shepherds because they were the German dogs of war. Right. And the single-handedly, the thing that turned the tide for German Shepherds was the TV show Rin Tin Tin. So. Okay. German shepherds were terrified because they were these German dogs of war and they were being sicked on people. And then you have this brand new media called television, which shows Ren Tin Tin climbing six foot fences and saving people from burning buildings. And all of a sudden, this dog that had previously been the most demonized dog in all of media becomes America's darling. And then it moves to Rottweilers in the 80s and pit bulls in the early 90s and unfortunately for pit bulls what also happened in the 90s is the internet and so now we unfortunately have the ability to mass replicate unfactual information or sensational information um one of the other things that have changed is you know back in back in the day of newspapers only of print media if they reported a dog fight, they would contextualize it or a dog bite. So it would say, um, you know, two-year-old mauled by family dog. Uh, dog was laying on bed, chewing bone. Toddler walked up, grabbed bone, dog bit her. Right. So as the reader, we can contextualize. Well, that that was a justified bite. That dog was in its place. Where were the owners to watch their child, to protect their child? Nowadays, it's, dog mauls toddler right and there's no you can't contextualize it which immediately says the dog is bad um also we have a thing in the media that if it bleeds it leads so 
pit bull has a negative connotation right off the bat and it is an emotional phrase for people. I've met people who have never, admittingly, has never met a pit bull that are terrified and tell me the craziest things that they believe of them because they've read them. And to me, every dog is an individual. That's why I do the work that I do because my first dog was a pit bull and I wouldn't admit that. I called him a boxer greyhound mix. Out of just saving yourself from the explanation. Right. I didn't want to have to pay more for insurance. I, wor- oh I lived in God. an apartment. Yeah. You know, I, I was afraid. Um, and then I actually go start working with dogs and I, I meet these dogs and I learned that they're just dogs. Right. There's nothing special about them, truly. Um, what I also find fascinating, so we have this whole media perception of them and we have the reality, but I think what also gets tied into this that makes it even more convoluted is what you asked me originally is, well, what is a pit bull? So a pit bull is a general term that we use to describe a certain class of dogs. And unfortunately, what you think a pit bull is, is different than what I think. Uh, For some people, it's if the dog has cropped ears, where their ears have been cut off, like a Doberman's or a Boxer's. Uh, For some people, it's if it has a brindle coat or a boxy head or really muscle bound. Um, They've actually seen that there's up to 30 different actual breeds of dogs that people will look at and say, oh, that's a pit bull. So for me as a rescue, what am I saving? Right. I'll save anything that anybody calls a pit bull because it's just a dog. Right. Yeah. And just, it's almost just slang, right? Right. Essentially. And if you look at the dogs on our website, they all look different. I save everything for, I have a 34 pound quote unquote pocket pity to a 65 pound giant. Actually, he's probably now considered small because you, the newest movement are to breed these hundred pound massive pit bulls or and your is that American for fighting bullies. or is that just aesthetics <sighs> it's just because we like the look of it just for the power purpose because i was going to interject with this when you were going through the the types of dogs for, even in my lifetime you know into the the 90s and the early 2000s like pit bulls from what i know at least in in the media you have like like dmx or just anybody with these pit bulls on chains as a sign of uh, machismo yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And, and this like, yeah, exactly. And this toughness of having these animals that you control, but that could rip your face off, but you have the power over them. And right. I say rip face off, but that's, but, but, but because that's what they People want you be- to think. Exactly. I it's agree. like, I have the power over these beasts. You know, yes. it's like the, the hounds of hell that I have on my front porch. You and know, it's so weird. It is. But what is fascinating is when we go back to, so how how did not only how did pit bulls become the demonized dog, but why? And there were three articles that were quintessential to turn the American public against the pit bull. And one was made by Time, and it was called Time Time Bomb on Legs, and it had a pit bull on the cover. Another one was by Sports Illustrated, because Sports Illustrated considered dog fighting a sport. And so they had a, a vicious looking pit bull on the cover. And was that until 
the Kennel Association. This would have been in the early 90s that this magazine article was there. That's crazy. And then I can't remember the third, but if you look at my blog, I actually, it took me hours and hours of research to find the original articles to be able to put them in my blog. Because for me, I want to know the facts. Because anybody can quote anybody. And if you dig down... What you'll find sometimes, unfortunately, is you've got these newspapers that are quoting these quote unquote pit bull facts that come from fiction that are, you know, one person says something flippantly and then all of a sudden you've got all these journalists quoting it as fact and nobody fact checks it and that's what becomes a reality. And so all three of those articles were written about urban dogfighting and and that's what it ends up being. You have um, children or young adults who are in gangs and their dogs end up becoming an, an extension of their value. So like you said, if I have a dog that fights every other dog and wins, that means that I'm a badass because my dog's a badass. And you won't challenge me because look how bad I am to own this dog. The reality is that that dog has been brutalized and victimized and probably starved and beaten in order to fight. Um, the dogs truly are the victims. It is extremely abnorm- abnormal in all, in all mammals for any animal to want to fight to the death. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that type of aggression is abnormal. No right. animal wants to do that. But just like the gladiator showed us, if you're stuck in a corner and you're told... Or even the the Hunger Games, the silly movies that uh-huh. people watch nowadays. If you're forced to fight for your own life, you're gonna do that because you have to. Because you have to. Because the other one's going to, and, or at least so you think. Right. And so for these dogs, you know, either they are being bred and raised within the culture of fighting, so they're from literally from the size of your hands, they're already being put and face they're taking two puppies and punching them together in their faces until one of them will growl at the other oh my God. and then they will praise that growling puppy and feed that growling puppy and they won't the other one because they want that aggression yeah or um they won't give them any attention or affection or food until they fight and if they don't fight they'll kill them because they have no value to them so unfortunately we are to me it's more so the human problem so when i look at the work that i do for casa del toro will i end dog fighting in my lifetime no because that is a social problem that has been institutionalized in certain parts of our society to be an acceptable form i don't find that acceptable but there have been dog fights where there there are kids present and unfortunately, they're, they are being habitualized to this high level of aggression and taught that it's okay. And it doesn't matter because they, they don't think that dogs have feelings or that the dog's feelings matter because they just want the money. Right. It's just meat. It's just meat. Animated. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So when you look at your urban versus your rural dogfighters. And I, I think of the rural dogfighters as the girl boys. The guys have been doing it forever. Right. Um, and like I said before, they have their code of ethics. They don't fight to the death. They have actually have like honor in the ring uh, and rules that they follow. Where your urban fighters, like your Michael Vicks, fight the dogs to the death. 
because the dogs don't mean anything to them. It's the money that means something to them. And when that urban dog fighting really took effect, which unfortunately kind of blossomed right before congruently and still to this day since the Michael Vick big you know, news story, um, those dogs don't stand a chance. They're not being selectively bred to be good fighters. These are people who are stealing animals or backyard breeding them and they don't care what the end result is. So you take somebody like me who goes through the shelter and I'm looking to save dogs identified as pit bulls Um, because of the vagueness of identifying them. And in our state, we have no spay and neuter laws. So anybody can breed as many of them as they want. There's too many of them at the shelter. And I'll walk through and I see everything from something that you can tell with somebody's family pet to a dog covered head to toe in scars. And you know that that dog was either fought or used as a bait dog. And then how do you pick and choose though? Because that that would have to be a heartbreak to anyone who's been in a pound or a shelter. Has have If you're looking for a dog, you want to take them all at some point and it just seeing the sight is painful. So you said you, it'll either be everything from clearly a family pet or the animal covered in scars. Do, like, do you have to just... I don't even know how to say it, like choose the, the lesser of two evils and maybe leave the animal with, with scars or, or take the animal with scars. Like what is the, the, the route to do? Cause you, you can't take them all. Right. And how do you choose which ones are going to help further the movement, uh, while also having to probably break your own heart and leave some behind. So one of our hidden, Um, messages of our kennel enrichment program. So kennel enrichment is providing dogs that live in a shelter, um, keeping animals engaged through one-on-one personal interaction. So we do scent therapy. We spray different scents through the shelter so that the scent hounds don't smell chemicals and poop and pee all the time. Um, We play calming music. We'll teach them their names. We try to keep the dogs mentally engaged so that they can get adopted. Um, through doing kennel enrichment, I can help hundreds more dogs than what I can actually save, like you said. So when I go to the shelter, I pull off of behavior, not breed. So again, let's forget the fact that somebody's going to look at this blue cropped ear pit bull and I'll get a hundred apps on him tomorrow if I pull this dog because of the way he looks. But maybe he bites people. Right. I'm not going to pull that dog. I'm going to pull the dog with the best behavior. Because that's going to hurt the movement once he, or potentially bite right. someone. You know? Or for but. me, I I need a dog that I can put into a foster home, which more, most likely has another animal. Because if we love dogs, we own dogs. And then I'm going to try to put that dog in another person's home. And it is my due diligence to make sure I'm putting safe dogs out there in the community. Now, ideally... I would have foster homes that could take a dog that maybe failed a food bowl. And what that means is, so when I assess a dog, I handle them. I touch their feet, their tail. I look in their ears. I look at their teeth. I touch their belly. I pretty much do everything that a veterinarian would do. Do they snap at me? Do they put their mouth on me? Um, I food bowl test them, which isn't really scientifically factual, but I still kind of need to see what's going to happen. And that is where we put a bowl of food down. We take a fake hand. We stick the fake hand in the food bowl and we pull it away. Wow. Does the dog bite the hand? 
That's a big question. Yeah, that is. You know, never... <laughs> I'm taking a strange 60 pound dog and I'm going to put it in a stranger's house. Is that dog going to bite that person when they feed him? Right. So we do a food bowl test and then we do a dog dog intro. So every dog that I take into the rescue, I do we do all of those steps for. No dog is brought in sight unseen. Um, but if we have a dog that bites the hand, you can train that out of a dog. Like with clicker training, with positive reinforcement, you can counter condition that and train that out of them. It takes a long time. Right. So I would have to have a foster home that knows the training to be able to do it, that can feed separately, that can put the time into the dog to rehabilitate them. I don't have that right now. So I have to say no to food bowl failures. Right. Because um, I'm, a sh- well, if you don't have them now, I was going to say, I'm sure you have your key foster players that like, you know, like you can give your bad boys to. If, the, if they have potential of making it through, maybe these people can get it there. But the phrase that comes to mind is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And like, do you, what's the point to where if you, or what's the age maybe that it's just like, can we get you past this point? You know, is like, I, I got to wonder if like once they hit eight, is it too late? I mean, there's a lot of life left obviously, but like, can you teach that old dog a new trick to, to behave and not snap at somebody? Or can you put them in an appropriate foster home and find them the right home that will accept them being a cranky senior? You know, not every dog has to be perfect. And I think, unfortunately for us, because we have such a high pet pet overpopulation problem, we don't have the opportunity of saving all of the dogs. And, you know, this year as a rescue, we have really been intentional for what we're saving. I am trying to save the dogs that will die if they do not get saved by us. So we just pulled a female pit bull on Sunday. It was our 20th anniversary as a rescue. So we have been saving pit bulls in Indiana for 20 years. Wow. And on that day, one of our board members went to the shelter and pulled a female pit bull with a broken pelvis. And she will be on another four day or four weeks of kind of bed rest. We're going to get her in for another x-ray just to make sure she's healing appropriately. Um, but that's a dog that would not have been adopted out at the oh, shelter not. and needs you know, at least another month of rehab before she could truly be taken off a leash and run around uh, because she was supposedly hit by a car. So I, we still dog dog tested her. We still food bowl tested her, you know, like I understand that she has a broken pelvis, but she went into a house with two other dogs. I had to make sure she was safe. And Luckily, my foster home is willing to keep her separate because while she's recuperating, she can't be wrestling with two other dogs, you know? Um, So the decision is the hardest part. Um, One of our unknown slogans from Kennel Enrichment is that nobody cries at the shelter, but everybody cries in their car. And you can't help it. Um, I have been ready to pull a dog and I find out another group gets it before me because... So there are other groups similar to you Oh yeah, there's Indie Humane, there's Every Dog Counts, there's Mended Hearts, there's tons of great animal welfare groups in our city, Helping Paws, that pull dogs from the shelter. And for us, that's also been one of our evolutions as a rescue. You know, we are Casa del Toro Pitbull Rescue. And the national movement, when you look at groups like Bad Rap out in California, who took 
a bunch of Michael Vick dogs or the Animal Farm Foundation out in New York, the movement is to not identify them as pit bulls. Call them what they are. They right. are a mixed breed dog. And look at the behavior. Um, pit bulls at one time were known as the nanny dog. So when we go back to farming time, um, and they were just the the farm dogs, they literally, while the, the family went out to work the fields, they would leave their pit bull at home to watch the kids. And that's what the purpose of the dog was. Helen Keller had a pit bull. That's crazy. And that's all forgotten because yeah. of this just slang. Well, not even, it, at this point, it's a loaded term. It's not even slang. Right. It's just the the culture of it, like you said, that just you, how do you break that? You I, put good dogs in the community and you actually make people meet a dog that's called a pit bull. Well, and that's what you guys do. I yes. know you have, every year go to Pride and you set up a, a station to where mm-hmm. you have every from puppies to older dogs. Mm-hmm. For people just to come and say, hey, you're not going to get bit. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Let your kid play. Like, I mean, I, but, and I, as I'm saying this though, I think of my own kid and like, it's, and like, to be honest, Shauna, it's like, it's beaten into me, like most culture things, like you can't really shake it, but like, I'd love her. She loves animals and like, you know, she, she loves to point and talk, but like, there's just that thing in me that's just like, that's my kid and like i i don't you know how do i and everyone else because it's easy to say like yeah let your kid go play like like i just said but then when you think well what about my kid then that's when it's just that's when it's real and i just realized that as i was saying that so like how do you really do it you you educate the kids because that's whose minds we're going to change we're not going to change their parents you're right Um, you're right because my i like we'll have to come over and just you know they anytime i've been over you know they'll love on me and i've never been bitten you know no. yeah and you got three right now right i lost my female in september that's so I'm down right to two. okay that's right I and forgot. i i had two fosters so at a time we had four right um but what's also interesting is pd from the little rascals was a pit bull yeah as yeah, well that's right so at one time they were like the american dog uh-huh. and they truly are um i call them our the shelter, American shelter dog is something that people call them because the other side of this coin is why are there so many pit bulls at the shelter? And the reason is because you have all these other groups that pull all different types of dogs. Like I said, I only pull pit bulls and they come and pick and choose all the small ones. All the designer breeds are going to get taken by these other rescues that can make three, four, five hundred $500 off of adopting them out. They're all going to leave the 50 pound pit bull behind. Well, because it's a scary 50 pound pit bull. Right. Um, and because it's not a real breed, there's hundreds of dogs that are called that. So um, when I look at how do I make the most impact? We used to pull puppies. I stopped pulling puppies because puppies aren't going to die. Right. Everybody wants a puppy. They're like tits. Everybody loves them. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but right. that's the truth. Uh-huh. Now, once they get three or four, they're not so cute anymore. They're still jumping because when they were cute and tiny, you didn't work with them. Right. And now you don't want to keep them. Exactly. And to me, the more important thing is teaching proper animal ownership. Like what's it really take to own a dog responsibly? And it doesn't matter if that dog's a pit bull. I mean, when I'm at the shelter, I don't discriminate. If I want to take a Mastiff out, I'm going to take a Mastiff out. If I want to take a Chihuahua out, I'm going to take that dog out because 
every dog matters. Still a dog. They're all dogs. Still life, yeah. Exactly. So, yes, I'm drawn towards the certain look. Yes, I like pit bulls. I like their tenacity. I like their their athleticism, um, their desire to work. They're very human-friendly. Um, I mean, and that those are some of those statements can't even be accurate anymore because we're not intentionally breeding them since they're not a breed. And what I've really noticed is, you know, this blue pit bulls didn't exist until the 1970s. And they are by far the number one request that I get. Blue male pit bulls. If I had a million of them, it would be like McDonald's and I would sell them all. And blue, like what? Um, so think of like, there's a Great Dane. It's that gray color. Okay, gotcha. They call it blue. Okay. Uh, and for pit bulls, that's how they had to get put into the the genetic makeup. You know, a Weimariner or something with that color had to be bred into the stock. But if you go back and look at, at um, even American Kennel Club showing qualities, you can't, uh, a white dog and a red dog aren't considered show quality because they're recessive. It's your albino oh. or your red, like a ginger, okay. <laughs> your day walkers, because right. <laughs> uh, right. they don't have freckles. Uh-huh. Um, but they're not considered show quality. But other than that, brown, black, moo-moos, black and white, or gray and white, or, you know, any color with a mostly white, like a, a cow. Okay. Um, brindle, which is your multicolor, kind of like a zebra, but with browns. Right. All of those are considered show quality. Blue is not in there. So blue becomes this designer breed. Everybody wants one. Because um, no one has it. Because no one has them. There are hundreds of them right now at the city shelter. There are more blue pit bulls than any other dog in there. That's because crazy. everybody started breeding them. Oh, they got overbred. Okay. And now what we find is some pit blue pit bulls have skin problems or allergies because they have been intentionally bred for a look and not their health, which is kind of why people are, are against breeding purebred dogs. You know, a, a, a purebred dog at some point is somewhat inbred to keep that that genetic stock pure. Um, you get a lot of health problems like bad hips or bad eyes or blindness. You know, there's just ingrained medical problems. Don't you get a lot of that with like pugs too? Right, yeah. yeah. Just I, ev- all the of respiratory them. issues and yeah. yeah. There's... All purebred dogs have their, have their genetic problems. Huh. So I like pit bulls because they're less likely to have that right. because they're a hodgepodge. I like them for their diversity of the looks you know you can have a super tiny one and a super big one they can be cropped we don't crop any of our dog's ears if our dog's ears are cropped they come to us like that um cropping is literally aesthetics so it's where they crop cut their ears off so they point like a doberman or a boxer and that is only because the american kennel club said that that's what we like our dogs to look like Hmm. there's no reason to do it other than the fact that people think it looks cool. I was going to say, it seems like another power thing. Like right. that just sharp, like attentive. It looks yeah. in- intimidating. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, docking the tail, like on a boxer where they cut the tail off. Uh-huh. Originally, or on your Rottweilers, that had a purpose. Like Rottweilers were cart dogs. So not only were they your dogs of war, but they would literally on the farm, they would pull carts. Huh. And they cut their tail off because the tail would always hit the cart and break. So... That docking was actually, there was at one time when we used animals to make us, you know, successful humans. Right. They had a purpose. And now it's just aesthetics. 
that just seems like such a weird. Oh, the first time I, I a buddy of mine had two boxers growing up, and I loved them. They were great dogs, and but they had that yeah that tail and like and really until you said that I didn't know that I thought they were just born with a little nub and it just kind of <laughs> just a little nub that nope that's full so, tail. And it's like your pinky. Even now, they didn't evolve. Like, they weren't no. cut off to the point to where they started just not having them. Nope. So even now, like, they They're will cropped. be born and cut. Yes. Yes. It's like the canine circumcision. That's yes. bizarre. And some vets nowadays will not crop dogs' ears voluntarily. Like, you could have a medical need. You know, the dog's ear could be torn. Like, there could be a medical right. necessity. Right, We in the rescue have had to crop dogs' tails because they've broken them. Um, you know, so there, there can be a medical need for it, but the majority of them are, um, aesthetics. And what I think is interesting is to tie it all back, unfortunately, to the dog fighting because Casa del Toro was started partially to save those dogs that have no other chance because they're being fought. Um, it's really interesting. So I'll tell you something that you really don't know unless you're, you do the research, a lot of people will say that people who fight their dogs crop their ears. A true dog fighter is going to leave their ears natural because they would rather their dog lose their ear than their face. Oh. So if I meet somebody on the streets and they're all intimidating and it's, look at my pit bull and it's got a cropped ear, they're probably not really fighting that dog. Yeah, you know they're taking care of at least. Well, or something. You right. know, they could have cut the dog's ears off with scissors in their backyard. Oh. So... It doesn't mean that it was done humanely. And that's done. That is done. I have dogs in my rescue that have had that done. And you can literally see the hack marks where like they couldn't get the scissors to go through on one cut. Yeah. Completely inhumane. Um, But that dog that had that happen to them still wants to be loved. Because we've domesticated them to that point. Like canines are man's best friend. All they want is our affection and attention. And it's really sad when you see people who have manipulated this desire to please a human to the extent where the animal will harm itself for its desire to please you. And that's bred into them. Like, how does that even work? Like, the breeding process blows my mind. Like, evolution enough is insane. But so we come in and play God to design how these things are going to look and act and behave in their health but like i just i know i mean it makes sense like how that part works and like we're we're smart enough as human beings to recognize like you said the uh recessive and dominant genes and know how that works but like those aren't done by geneticists a lot of them are like you said some backwoods shit that they're just right franken dr frankenstein your dog looks good i'm gonna breed it right exactly and you even said kept as like i can't remember the stud pretty much they're they're stud stud dogs and i I, it just blows my mind so what what they would do um because you have like your organized dog fighting and then you have just people who do it right that don't know what they're doing but if you have a truly organized um, operation they're going to try to breed dogs that are that have a desire to fight so um i have been fortunate and unfortunate enough to have assisted in multiple local dog fighting operations and like help the dogs leave the property assess the dogs rehabilitate, rehabilitate like after a fight dog, like walk onto the yard after the swat team leaves and help get the dogs off the yard Holy at a dog fighting shit. house like after it had just been and left across for the dead. street they find the garage with the bloody rink in it yeah yes 
So that is the Gary 2011 dog fighting raid. We saved 20 dogs on that property. Um, everything from a mom with a litter of puppies to a senior who had no teeth because they had ripped all of her teeth out and put her, they would, it's awful, uh, but they make things called rape boxes. And so it's literally a car, a metal, a wooden box and they strap the female into it and they allow her to be raped by male dogs to impregnate her. But the female is a fighter because they only, they only breed winners. And so they'll rip all of her teeth out so that she can't cause permanent damage to the male dog who is inseminating her. Oh, now, my God. So in addition to that, they're looking for behaviors that we as normal everyday people aren't don't find desirable. So um, reactivity is where a dog sees another dog and gets really worked up and barks and like flips out. Um, and then resource guarding is a dog that, you know, has a bone and will growl at any dog that approaches them. And so what a, an organized effort would do is say, okay, I've got this female. I mean, A, they're going to be winners in the rink. So they're already fighting in their winners. But here's this female who is a super resource guarder. So you put food down, she's going to bite you if you take it away. You give her a toy, she's going to bite you if you take it away. So she's got the drive to actually bite something. And then you've got a male dog who, as soon as he sees another dog, he flips out. So let's breed them. So I get that dog who wants to flip out when it sees another dog and will bite something. And then... And they just keep picking picking the dogs with what we would consider the worst behaviors and right. breeding them to try to get this, unfortunately, really unbalanced, unstable dog who who probably mentally isn't all there, you know. Um, there are some, you can see some breed logs, and unfortunately, depending on how organized of an effort it is, um, and you can see where they've intentionally inbred them every four generations. So, you know, here's... Here's my male pit bull. He's fought 10 fights. He's won all of them. I'm going to go breed him with female one, female two, female three, and then his daughter. And then I'm going to keep breeding back into his line because that abnormal aggression is what I want. Now, just because that's happened to the dogs doesn't mean that you can't, they're not good dogs. Right. And I don't think that any dog is too old to be taught a new trick. I think that if we truly lived where we had spay neuter and breed laws where people were capped at how many animals they could own or breed, that we would be able to save them all. You know, the no kill movement so that no animals are killed um, without a medical need is Utah is a no kill state. There are no animals killed in the state of Utah period how that, do, that how aren't they, medically necessary how do they do that like they've been since the 80s oh, they've they been spay and neutering so yeah, it, yeah it's more of a uh, it is a progressive approach through the community and not so reactive to just right yeah or you if you think our 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 local shelter was built on the old dump the old city dump mm-hmm. and it is right around the corner from the actual dump currently right so it tells you what our city planners thought about animal welfare when that shelter was built in the 80s. It meant nothing. Put it where the put it where the trash is. It's right. literally next to the trash burning plant. Oh my. Yeah. Um when you were at the shelter, you can see glass and all of this debris coming up through the sh- the ground because it's built on top of a landfill. Um that was the 80s. Like we are hopefully so much more progressive than that, but there's no money in animal welfare. What's going to get a, what's going to, 
our animal welfare at the city is a municipal shelter, so it's ran by the city. Um, what's going to get a city official elective, elected? Public safety, less dog bites in the community, not more dogs getting adopted from the shelter, not spay and neuter so that more dogs in our community are being saved. Right. Um, I can't keep up with the requests from the shelter for pit bulls that need to be saved. On top of that, through our website, I get at least 30 dogs every 10 days requested to surrender to me by people. So you're good Samaritan. I found this pit bull. I can't keep her. You take her. Or I'm moving and I can't take my dog with me. Or my friend just got cancer and went into the hospital and she has three pit bulls. Can you take them? No. Right. No to all of them. Because if I open the door for a public person to give me their dog, I have to open the door for all of them. Right. So we focus on the dogs at the shelter that are going to die. I have to. But then what happens to those dogs in all those cases? They just end up, do they end, where do they go? Do they go on Craigslist? Do they end oh, up at the okay. shelter anyway? That's what I'm saying. You know, I, do their friend, and, and I've had times where in the amount of time, it, the three days it takes me to get to my emails and say, I'm sorry, we don't accept owner surrenders. Two thirds of the dogs at the city shelter are identified as pit bulls. We save dogs that are destined right. to die. Yada, yada, yada. They'll reply back and be like, oh, I already found somebody to take her. Oh, well, yeah. Well, great. Can you help me? Right. Yeah. I got a dozen. I've got yeah. hundreds uh-huh. that I can't help. Oh, and my God. it can make a person very jaded. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but at the end of the day, when I go back to the shelter, I was always that person that thought, like, I can't go there because I'll cry and I want to take them all home with me. And what I really found is the amount of self-validation that I got by going and giving my time to help the animals meant so much more to me than any of the heartache that it doesn't matter how upsetting or depressing it can be. Um, One of the newer movements are these mega adoption events where we try to empty out the shelters and we'll have hundreds of dogs go to the fairground and get adopted. We had one last month. Um, I think tons of animals got adopted. The city shelter, all the adoptable kennels were closed out. Maybe a couple of dogs didn't, but within 21 days, they were full again. Wow. They, on one Friday, um, Indianapolis Animal Care and Control had 152 cats adopted because it's kitten season. So they have them on, it's a special, it's a $10 adoption. It's great because we need these cats to go home with people. And what do you mean by kitten season? So dogs and cats go into heat. Oh, and a cyclical gotcha. season. And okay. right now, this is kitten season. Okay. So we've got all of these cats across the city having litters, 12, 15 kittens. Um, and, you know, if the mama cat is gone from the nest, a good Samaritan may come and find seven kittens, scoop them all up, and take them to shelter. And they had 152 kittens adopted on a Friday. On Mon- that following Monday, I was at the shelter looking for a senior male pit bull. And they had one person with 25 cats at the back door to surrender. How is this sustainable for us? It's not. If we don't become intentional about helping to spay and neuter these animals, we are always going to have more dogs and cats showing up at the front door of the shelter than rescue groups like myself and just citizens can save. It's the truth. So then as someone who's not involved, 
wh- who who can you write like who what can what can you do to try and get us to the point like that we're like Utah to where we have we can be a no kill state and and you don't have someone showing up pretty much to the back door and leaving two dozen kittens just because they whether they're theirs or they just found them right, you know and right. you, I, we could probably walk around this city right now and find them around a dumpster corner mm-hmm. or something and that's it really ah oh, man so what's fascinating is it's not indiana it is the midwest so this oh. spay and neuter movement has happened on the west coast and the east coast okay and just like everything else it takes a little while to get here to the heartland right um we have amazing things. I mean, I, I've been involved for 10 years and it has transformed in the last 10 years. So as doom and gloom as this may sound, Indianapolis is doing amazing things. We have a community cat program at the city shelter where if a feral cat comes in, they're not going up to the adoption floor. They're not taking up a cage. We're getting them back out into the community with a um, spay trap and return as quickly as possible. Um, to limit their stay in the shelter and get those animals back into their community. Um, we have Spay and Neuter Services of Indiana. They have a humane license plate. It's got the SN on it. Um, oh, okay, yeah. That, the, the proceeds from the sale of that license plate actually gives them the opportunity to give away low-cost Spay and Neuter certificates to people who are qualified already through Medicare or Medicaid. Um, on my blog... I have an e-link to a book called Getting to Zero. So it's not rocket science. Right. I don't have to invent this. It has been done in other communities. Exactly. And the, the book Getting to Zero will show specific steps that other communities have taken to get to killing zero animals um, for frivolous reasons. Uh, and one of those um, solutions is income targeted assistance for span neuter. So... It's not going out to the 46201 zip code, which brings in the top three number of animals going to the city shelter come from 46201. So it's not going there and going door to door saying, I'll fix all of your animals. It's actually saying, okay, everybody who qualifies for Medicaid will spay and neuter your pet for free. That's how you get there. Because by being qualified by the government, they've already done that income verification. My group, my little nonprofit who runs off volunteers alone, all you have to do is show them your card and we can say, yes, you've already been qualified that you truly need help. Because I've been at the clinics where we're given free stuff away in a certain zip code and there are people pulling up in nicer cars than I drive. Right. You know, and it's like, you're just manipulating the system. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need the help. You're just taking it. And, you know, then you see the people who truly do need the help. And I think that, it's really important, not just for dogs, but for people like you don't don't judge a book by its cover. And so often I see people who maybe have pets that need help that are missing fur because they have a flea problem or they keep them outside because they don't have any other way of keeping them inside the house and they have fly bites on their ear. And you'll see other people who will talk, be like, oh, look at their dog. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they'd come out here with their dog looking like that. Yeah. That's who we want. Like, they truly need help. Not the guy who pulls up in the Beamer. Right. You know, with the dog who has a leather collar on and more money spent on it just getting here than any of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the other animals that are here. Like, and I think that, you know, like you said here in Fountain Square where you, there are huge cat colonies, you know, that are feral cats. And I have found 
that the people who like animals usually own animals. And it's really sad in the in the animal welfare community, we can become very decisive and um, kind of point fingers. And I've seen that happen because, you know, we'll have somebody who maybe owns three cats and two dogs already. And then they'll bring in another two dogs that they can't take care of. And they're not a bad person because they have more animals than they can afford to take care of. Their heart's too big. You know, they can't turn these two other dogs back out on the street with no food and no shelter because they care. And they're not educated enough about the resources at the city shelter to trust that they could give those dogs up that they can't afford to take care of because rescue groups like myself would be able to go in and save them. And so I think, unfortunately, that's the double-edged sword of the rescue work is it's very easy to point fingers and be like, well, why do you have five cats for you can't take care of them. Your cat smells like your house cat smells like cat piss. And if you really take the time to meet them, you might learn that they had two and then their mom died and they got two more and then the stray showed up and there's a free food pantry down the street. You know, they're on Medicaid. We can get them spayed for free, spayed and neutered for free through SNSI. And then there's a food pantry down the street that can help them feed their pets so that those five cats don't go to the shelter. Right. And they stay in the home where the people love them and want to take care of yeah, them. And it's like, if you're going to criticize them, what would you have them do? Die? Like, because right. that's, that's really the alternative in this case. And in this certain state that we're in and, yes. and like, it's going to be a big push, I think to, I, I it's going to be a culture shift. And I think the work that you guys are doing, at least exposing just on pit bulls alone, that they're not rabid beasts right you know and like that it's gonna take time and like like i use that phrase you can't teach an old old dog new tricks it's the same with with humans because yes. like i'm this old dog now that it's like in my head and like i as much as i don't want it there it's gonna take time and it's it's up to just getting this out there and around kids now to know that the ones that bit the kids either they were not trained up in a certain way or they weren't having the parents weren't around like mm-hmm. they should have been anyways you know and regardless it's, of the type of dog exactly, exactly. it could it could have happened and it still does that's the thing yes. kids are still bit by dogs anyways but the only one that gets the attention now is the pit bull because of the media of the media Agreed. and this like that culture of this muscle demon dog mentality okay shana well then where can people find any more information to educate themselves or other people about what you and Casa del Toro are doing in the community. So, so they can go to our website, casadeltoro.org um, or on Facebook. I believe it's facebook.com forward slash Casa del Toro. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram under CDT rescue, Casa del Toro abbreviated rescue. Um, you can reach out to me directly. If you put an email through the website, it will come to me personally. We always are needing foster homes and volunteers. And um, we are also, we just recently, I started doing training classes. So if people have problems with their animals, um, we do training classes for reactive dogs in a group setting and then also one-on-one home consultations. Because if we can help you keep your dog in the home, then it's one less dog that I have to save from the shelter. And that's beautiful. <laughs> exactly. So, so this is your episode. So what, in you know, one to five words, what would you title this? 
pit bulls are dogs too. Perfect. All right. That's going to get it out there. Yeah. So, okay. Well, Shauna, thanks again. This is uh, Shauna Ping with her episode titled Pit Bulls Are, what do you say? Dogs again? too. Our pit bulls are dogs too. So thanks everybody. This was, I, I don't think I've ever been that this quiet through a podcast. <laughs> this was really good stuff. Well, so thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks.